This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is Tyrese Campbell and you're listening to the Every Step Along the Way podcast. Hello, everybody. We have had the managerless derby and we managed to secure a point and end that losing record. Um, here to discuss that with me tonight and maybe look at what managerial options we do have going forward and also look ahead to Sunday's game with West Brom is Michael Stockley. How are you, Mike? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Um, busy week at work. I've been uh, busy with Christmas shopping. As no doubt a lot of people listening to this have been. Um, been bled dry it feels like at times um yeah yeah i mean you know what it, we went into the to the game on tuesday and i i didn't know what to expect i was really looking forward to it quite sadistically um and yeah we'll get into that but yeah it's it's been a, an action-packed week let's just say that shall we yeah like I say, that that time of year isn't it where we have a yeah non-stop it seems constant and i know uh for anyone who's wondering, your, pod, your podcast will be non-stop over the next few weeks. We were sort of having a look where we were preparing ourselves, so we knew when we'd be recording and, and what we'd be on about and all that. And uh, yeah, we, we've got quite a bit coming out, haven't we, coming up, Mike? Yeah, I think it's about 65 pods in a week, I think. Um, <laughs> actually, no, we need to look at it again, but there's uh, there's definitely several coming in. How many games is it in December in total? Is it seven? Uh, yeah, like that, at least seven, I think. <laughs> yeah, at least seven. So, like, there's going to be constant, you know, uh, I'd say normally mon- Monday, Friday pods, but we're going to probably have to move them around a little bit because of where obviously Christmas stuff falls. No one, I mean, as much as we think we do a good job here, right? We don't think that people are listening to us on Christmas Day, let's be honest. Um, if you are, then amazing. <laughs> um, but like, the vast majority will not want to. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll put some of those on the socials. Uh, in terms of like when different bits are coming out, just to just so you're not confused as to what's coming out and when. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. Keep an eye on like, say Facebook and Twitter. They'll be the main ones. We'll get like uh, we'll get Tom to knock up a, a, a nifty graphic where we all uh, share everything when everything's coming out and being released. Um, yeah, right. he, he can do the donkey work. Yeah, well, so we've got the dates after they get on with it, boy. <laughs> um. Right, so Swansea. I'll be honest, when that team dropped an hour before kickoff, I was scratching my head a bit as to what uh, the hell was going on. 
You were not the only one, Dan. Uh, what was it, like a 3-4-3? Three, three. We had three right-backs on the field. Um, players that I think we'd all would have chosen dropped. I mean, it was a it was an absolute mess on paper, to be honest. I mean, let, let's call it what it was. It was a mess on paper. Um, I mean, Paul wouldn't have really known his best team at all. He obviously is, of course, is with Alex Neal, so he's going to know pretty much what the players are capable of from a training perspective. And also, you know, it's one of them scenarios, I think we may have hinted at it last week, but he's going to be looking at the team and, you know, he might not have agreed with everything that Alex Neal has done. So he may have seen his way of doing things. And if, well, actually, if you would have put this player in and this player in, then that would have done you some good. I mean, obviously, you know, Josh came in, uh, Junior finally came in, which actually for me was one of the most resounding um, parts of that entire team. You know, he's, he was almost cast out into the cold with Alex Neal for some random reason. And the first opportunity that anyone's got, he's straight in the team. Says everything to me that does. And and also, he actually had a bloody good game. Like he, he, looked, he looked lively. Um, you know, he looked quite tidy with his feet as well. You know, he wasn't perfect, but he's not going to be. You know, he's barely kicked a, a ball in anger for us. So, uh, but yeah, you know, you're right. Um, I think... It was a bit of a shock, but uh, in fairness to the lads, you know, the I think they put a bit of fight in. Certainly more fight than the Sheffield Wednesday game. I mean, you couldn't put less fight in if you tried with that one. So it was, yeah, it was an interesting team. None of us would have probably chosen it, but I think we can all sit here and say that, you know, they, they did themselves some justice at the very least. Yeah, I think, like you say, the bar was very low after the Sheffield Wednesday game wanted yeah, to, to be a marked improvement. Uh, they certainly achieved that. And for me, I was quite impressed by the press, you know. I, I thought they really, the effort was there. There was a lot of running, a lot of harassing Swansea. And obviously they knew that they enjoy having the ball and they like to play out. And I thought particularly Loren coming forward from midfield, um, you know, was really hot on, on with the press, as was Junior on the right. And even Daniel Johnson on the left. I thought, you know, those three really... Didn't really give the uh, Swansea defence any time on the ball at all, really, did they? No, I think what what's been interesting about Josh is you know he was having a really bad season, wasn't he? Uh, not doing very well at all, and doesn't make a difference what he did, where he played. He was at fault for goals. It was almost like he was, I don't know, he was switching off or he was disengaged or whatever it is. But in fairness to the lad, you know, he's come in and he's he's worked hard, and I think he's actually been pretty decent since he. You know, came back, came back in uh, from the cold. Uh, I use that term twice this time, uh, but yeah, you kind of get, my, you kind of get my point. Yeah, he, he's he's done pretty good. You're right. The press was good. Um, I thought Ryan May looked um, dangerous. I know at times he he seems if he seems to me a little bit clumsy at times, but there was a couple of chances he had, and I think when he's if he had been playing probably most of the season and he's got you know he's got his end and he knows exactly what to do with every time he hits his feet. I reckon he would have scored a couple of goals. Uh, that one where he almost dribbled over his own feet when it was easier to shoot than trying to backheel it to whoever was behind him. Things like that where he's lacking in confidence um, on a different day with different set of circumstances. I think we would have won that 2 or 3 nil without really being a 2 or 3 nil game, to be honest. I mean, Swansea were... They weren't up to much, were they? I mean, I don't know what you thought about them, but I'd, they never really came across as overly dangerous to me. I mean, we, we definitely had the better chances. 
Yeah, for me, that was probably the poorest Swansea side that we've had down here in quite a few years. I mean, like I said before the game, didn't we, on the last part, is it 13 years in a row that we've played them? Like 13 years in a row, we've been in the same division. Obviously, we got relegated together. Uh, we've both been in the Championship ever since. And yeah, for me, I, in that time, I think that this was the poorest Swansea eleven that, that really has come to, come to Stoke. Yeah, very, very unlike Swansea. I think you always expect them to be, you know, crisp and passing around and really stretching the play. But it surprised me, you know, for how poor we've been in our current situation. And I know they're out there, they're managerless as well. I get that. But, you know, we're, we're very fresh um, out of a manager. And I just thought they would have put a little bit more into it. Maybe the way that we set up took them by surprise and it was a little bit, um, a little bit more cautious than maybe they originally set out to do. I mean, in terms of like, the penalties. I mean, what's going on with us at the minute? Having gone no penalties, which we should have had what seven, um, and we've ended up having was it two back to back? So, yeah. I mean, it, 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 again, in fairness to Johnson, he's he's stepped up. Um, you know, Ryan is clearly. I think actually no, I say he clearly didn't fancy it, but I think he went to pick the ball up, and I think Johnson's probably said, "Let me have this one." Um, it seemed to be that that's what was being alluded to in one of the interviews I listened to anyway. I didn't quite catch it on, on the stream, but um, yeah, it's good of Johnson to you know to take that responsibility away from Ryan because I think if Ryan would have had it, missed it again, um, it's a lot of pressure and it's also not going to do him any good at all. So I think it's very good um, from obviously Daniel Johnson to do that. Um, what did you think of the, the pairing at the back, Dan? You know, McNally and Rose, obviously, you know, the Kieran Clark was was dropped. I thought pretty steady. I, I don't really think they, they did an awful lot wrong across the, the entire back four. Gooch was brilliant. Um, Henry, which people are asking a couple of times who Henry is. Henry is Hoover. You can kind of get the, the, the correlation. Um, but I thought all four of them did really well. I thought Keanu Hoover had one of his better games of the season, to be honest, especially sort of defensively. I uh, thought he was really strong there. Again, like you say, with Gooch, Gooch is Gooch, and you know what you're going to get. You're going to get 100% effort. Um, and in a game like that, where you've had a few defeats in a row, and you need a, t- a team that are going to go out there and battle and fight for you, he's the perfect man and he's to stand out. So like I say he did a job. I was going to say, with, with with Gooch, though, what, what did you think about his attacking play? Because for me, his attacking play was probably as, as good as it's been. Um, since he came to the club, actually, I, he, he looks so dangerous going forward. More dangerous going forward than actually back for me. Yeah, um, I've got. Uh, I thought he played very well. Yeah, going forward as well. Like, like you say, the he was getting in there and getting into the dangerous areas in the final third. And you know, the more he does that, the more the more threat we're going to create. Obviously, I mean, it's, it's common sense to say that, but it's like. Yeah, the more options we've got going forward, the the easy, the you know, the more difficult we are to defend against, shall we say? And see if if we know that obviously he's, he's going to be on the overlap or if he's going to be charging forward, and, you know, and you've got a a Vidigal or or somebody out on that wing, or you know, you've got a, a Johnson or a John Hobe in the middle, and he's going forward as well. And you think you're know, on the left hand side, all of a sudden you've got three or four options within you know ten fifteen yards. The defense, you know, it can't you can't really pick them all, can you? in that situation. So like I say if he's going to be going forward and, and creating chances, it's the more the more often he can get that consistently into his game, the better off we're going to be. When it comes to attacking options, I wanted to get your opinion as well, because obviously one player that I think a lot of people are, are keen to see 
you know, get that form back as Vidigal and he can't even make it on the pitch. What what's happened to him since his injury? He either doesn't play or when he does, he's anonymous. Um, are, are we seeing what you said a few weeks ago? Are we just seeing the fact that he is a four hundred thousand pound player, not the four million pound player we thought we were getting after the first few games, or is it confidence or fitness? Is it get complete guesswork? I mean, for for me, I I don't understand where it's gone wrong with him a little bit. He seems to have just getting himself out of games. He's like almost like not going and moving around as much as he used to. I, I, I just struggle to see why he isn't performing. I wonder if it's the classic case of a player comes into the side, becomes the main threat, ends up getting injured, the team go on a, you know, a real bad run, struggling, struggling to create and score chances, and the manager, desperate for a result, just chucks him in a bit early and he just sets him back. And I think that might have happened on more than one occasion with Vidigal, and maybe he is paying the price for for not taking his time to recover properly and get back to full fitness. And so now he's stuck in a rut of he's not been fit, so he's playing while he's not fit, which means he's had bad, poor form. So now he's in poor form and maybe feeling that poor form in his head as well as his body. So he's he's not fully fit in his body and his mind's feeling he's not on form. So it could be a combination of those two working together now. So is that one of those players who might maybe needs a bit more of an arm around him? I suppose he's still he's still getting used to English football. I suppose that's an easier thing to to forget as well. Maybe he needs the right type of man manager just to put his arm around him and go, Luke, you're a good player. We know you're a good player. Like, I'm going to put you in for a few weeks. I'm going to give you full confidence. I know you're going to be getting better. It just gives him a bit of a confidence and an ego boost. And um, sometimes that's all that some players need. I mean, we don't know enough about him yet to know whether he's a, you know, it, whether it is all about stroking his ego a little bit to, to get the best out of him. I suppose that's for a new man to, to figure out because there's, there's definitely a player in there. We've seen his finishing ability. You can't deny how good he is um, in, in that position. I mean, Nathan Lowe came on before him, so that's also another thing that, again, Nathan isn't obviously surely going to be ahead of Vidigal, but yeah, it's it's. In, I mean, I don't want to put all this on Vidigal because he didn't even get on the pitch, but you know, it's it's just interesting because he's one of the main names, and and you know, Wesley's probably sat there as well thinking, I, I wish I hadn't have bothered now, because um, he's obviously not going to get much game time. What what did you uh, what did you make of Ben Pearson? Because <sighs> You know, Pearson, I, I really like the guy. I think he's a great defensive midfielder. The one thing for me that really annoyed me was that yellow card. And I know a lot of people have said the same thing. It was petulant. It was unnecessary. He had nothing to gain. It's a flipping throw in. Give him the ball. Stop being an, a, an absolute idiot. And it's just screams of, I want a couple of weeks off over Christmas. Uh, the amount of stupid bookings and, and red cards you're going to see uh, from this week's games, I bet if you looked at it statistically, you would see an increase. Uh, I think you'll be a little bit harsh there. I would say that we there was we were one 0 up. There was not long left, and they could potentially have got that ball and taken a quick throw in and taken him out of the game and others from the position they were in. Um, you know, if, if, if somebody just got the ball, quick launched it down the line then you know, they could have created a chance from that. And I think he was trying to kill, kill a little bit of momentum from them going forward. 
also kill a bit of time and probably he probably thought with a little shove from their player he wouldn't he wouldn't get booked he probably wasn't expecting a yellow card he just thought he would over dramatize it I found it quite humorous to be fair if I'll be honest that's how was of the of the best kind but but yeah I don't think he's, well he's not been very clever if he if he was Christmas he wanted off because he's, he's too much battle end in time for having to come and play on Boxing Day so surely he would have wanted uh, wanted that game off. I just th- I just think it was unnecessary. Um, I know what you're saying about you know he got a, he got a bit of a push and you know it made him uh, he probably made the most of it. He just it, it's just silly. He's gone and got himself banned now for a couple of games. Like he's achieved nothing. I think footballers are sometimes absolutely just. They're just brain dead. Some of them. Uh, well, there's there's no common sense. It's like when you go into a corner of a, you know, near the corner flag, and people come up behind you and nudge you from behind, and it's like, what are you doing? He's facing his own goal. It's, there's just a lack of forethought sometimes. People say that football players are stupid, and sometimes they give a prime example of that. But um, yeah, I think generally, uh, uh, kind of gone off tangent, but overall, I thought we were really good. I guess we've got to talk about the absolute liability. Um, you won't be uh, shocked to hear the name Jack Bonham uh, pop up, Dan. I just, I give up with this guy. Like, when everyone was raving about him, what were we saying for, for ages? He is ready to make a mistake, and he will cost you games if we can get through these 10 or 12 games without him making too many mistakes. Then we've done well. And he's made a couple now, and they've been game, game-changing game uh, mistakes as well. So he's done everything that I, I we always said he was going to do. Again, complete liability, costing us points, costing us, you know, three points here, one point there. Like, the sooner he is replaced, the better. He was never good enough, and he's proven it yet again why he's tried to be replaced on multiple occasions. The guy just needs to... And it's not his fault, right? He he signed for Stoke because, you know, a manager decided that he was good enough. It's not his fault he's not good enough, but he's just clearly out of his depth. Yeah, well, let's be honest. He was brought to the club as a number three, wasn't he? He was brought uh, he was brought in as a number three goalkeeper for um, cheap money, probably, by Michael O'Neill, who probably saw that, yeah, Joe Bersic, Adam Davis, and then not a lot else. Um, so he brought, was brought in that scenario. And due to injuries, loss of form, uh, having to sell Adam Davis to balance books, and then Joe Bersic. But he's ended up in a position where he was not, he was the number one permanent contracted goalkeeper. Um, I think that you, if you have a look, Mark, since Mark Travers returned to Bournemouth, we've played eight matches, I believe, and we've won one. And that was the very next game away at Middlesbrough where we won 2 0. Since then, we haven't won a single game. Um, and that's that. That says all. That that says all you need to know. I think Travers will come back. I know we're talking about transfers today, but I do think Travers will come back because I don't think he's going to want to rot in in Bournemouth's team, um, and he can only come to us. So I think if we get a, a respectable manager in, which I know we're going to come to uh, shortly, but we get a respectable manager in, uh, he will come back. I think it's it's not like we're in the doldrums. I mean, as, as long as we don't get relegated, obviously. Um, but you know, it's it, we're still an attractive proposition in theory I know we're a bit red and white tinted glasses on there but I I would struggle to see beyond him unless of course this new manager doesn't fancy him but if any manager's actually watched the guy I play for us I think they can clearly see he's a quality player in there 
So I think we'd be stupid not to reignite that one. As 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 for Bonham in this corner as well, I mean we better talk about it, haven't we? What what he was playing at, I don't know. He's missed choice to fly to the ball horribly. Um I saw a few people trying to blame Keanu Hoover. I mean, I don't know if this is a I don't know if this is the Keanu Hoover uh, anti group that you set up. I don't know if it's people from there. <laughs> <Is that it? laughs> uh, but but yeah, I watched the replay back. I'm like, I if you actually watch it in detail, just concentrate on the run, you'll see that Hoover is actually the one reacting to Luke McNally getting blocked off and losing his man. Um, so if if, if anyone wants to sort of like visualise what they've seen, so there's like a bit of a rocket. There's a two on two on sort of about 14 yards out, and then just behind them, a bit close to the goal, Keon Hoover's got his man. So next thing, McNally's man makes a run, a run across the two, uh, across his teammates, uh, behind his teammate and round, and across the two Stoke defenders, which blocks McNally off from getting round to him. He runs around the back of Hoover, who spots what's happening as the guy's running, sees that McNally's been blocked off, leaves his man, and sort of points as he goes to sort of say, like, to McNally, you pick him now. As he's sort of running to try and get catch him up, he's sort of half a yard behind and can't quite get there. Guy jumps up, obviously Bonham comes, completely flaps out, it misses the ball. And, uh, and yeah, and um, the guy sort of heads it in. So, yeah, so it wasn't, Hoover's fault of anything. Hoover was the the reactor to try and solve somebody else's uh, mess up in the situation, and only ended up getting caught up in Jack Bonham's complete mess up of the situation. <laughs> well, what you know, me and me, I am one of the first people to try and criticise uh, Hoover uh, this season because he's not been good enough. I completely and utterly agree with you. It was nothing that he did wrong at all. I thought it was a very good set piece routine from Swansea. As you rightly pointed out, I'm not going to go through all that again. People can go onto the YouTube highlights. Um, it's about, I don't know, it's about 15 seconds before the end of the highlights. Um, it is a it, it's a great blocking move. Like it you, you've got to give them credit for that. You know, it's not our fault that Bonham decided to, you know, come and do a, a part of Swan Lake or something. Like, you know, he at the end of the day, like you're spot on. Henry did nothing wrong at all. He, as you, as you said, was reacting. He's tried to get there. He couldn't get there in time. He can't. He's got to rely on his keeper to either get the ball if he thinks he can get it, or stay on his line and let him and you know someone else try and deal with it. Because even if that player gets his head on it from there, Bonham's on, on his goal line, he saves that. If he just yeah, stays from, still from from that angle, Bonham's got an easy save because like, Henry's got a cross. Henry's close enough to put enough pressure on him. You know, if the guy's not got enough time to bring it down and and make himself have a shot or anything like that, has he? Because, you know, Hoover's, like, say, half a yard away. He just, he hasn't got close enough to put some real pressure on, but enough to, he's got to take it for his time, if you like. So he's got two options. He reads it back across, which, again, then that, that le- you know, levels up the opportunity for Stoke to win the second ball, or he goes straight to goal and you would expect Jack Bonham would have a comfortable save. I just don't understand why he thought yeah. he had the need to come for it. It's an overhit corner. It's not. It's not landing between the sticks. If it's not landing between the sticks, what? Why do you? Do, yeah. What's the the need to try and come and claim it? Again, it's that lack of decision making, lack of, of quality that comes in it for me. Um, but yeah, he's he's cost us a game. I think we should have won it either way. Uh, I know you got some audio from Swansea um, in a minute, but 
yeah, I, I don't think they deserve to get anything out of that personally. I, I think a point was unfair, actually, on, on this one. I thought we did enough to win it. You know, we could have won it 2 or 3 nil easily. Um, so, yeah, really unfortunate. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Well, actually, let's listen to that Swansea audio whilst we're here. Hi guys, thanks for having me back on. And yeah, thoughts after the game on Tuesday then? Well, I think it's quite a difficult one to talk about, to be honest. I thought it was an awful game. Um, I added on while I was uh, making dinner in the kitchen. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've I got nothing much to say about it, to be honest. I thought both teams were quite poor, maybe expected, after the situation we both found ourselves in this week and the situation we are on the table. Uh, from a Swansea perspective, I mean... I'm not really sure we offered much an attack. I think we had one opportunity in the second half that I can recall that we should have scored from. Jamie Patterson having a shot from the edge of the box. Um, ricochet up, which could have been given as handball, but probably would have been harsh to have been given. Um, probably should have scored, though, from that opportunity, but that's the only one I can really say that we made. So we can't argue at the fact that we struggled to score. Obviously, scoring at the end with the header from the corner, it was a really good ball from Mac Rimes in that corner. Uh, but a set piece, you know, and you can always get a goal out of nothing from a set piece. I don't think we necessarily deserve to score in the game, though. Having said that, I do think a draw was a fair result from from the showing of both teams. I think, um, like I said, it was quite a boring game to watch. Quite not really much happened. Um, kind of struggled, I think, on both aspects in attack. And uh, I think the new manager for both clubs is going to have a difficult job to kind of turn the season around, respectively. Um, whoever that may be for each team. Stoke obviously got their goal through a penalty. And I thought you could either say it was clumsy defending or a soft penalty. I understand why it was given from the referee. I'm not really sure how much contact was there, but the defender swinging his legs around on the floor and going in for that sort of tackle in that sort of defensive way, you know, you're always asking the question for a penalty to be given. Um, I'm not really sure that it should have been, but I also can't argue against it based on what the referee might have seen. But what I will say is maybe swings and roundabouts from the fact that I personally think Ben Cabango in the first half for us could have had a red card, so maybe we got away with one for a little bit of a reckless challenge from the centre-back there. So maybe the ref thought he had to kind of match that up, but um, I can't really have too many complaints. We should have perhaps had the red, and the penalty maybe is dubious, but I understand why it's given. Uh, so I think a fair result at the end. be interesting to th- hear what you think. Um, maybe a draw is a good good result for both of us after our last few weeks. For us, it was four points from two away games this week since we've sacked Michael Duff so as much as the performances look really poor and we're not really sure about what's going to happen going forward you can't really argue with the points return under the caretaker boss um, and for yourselves I guess you're getting a draw after the sacking and you can look to move onwards and upwards but yeah thanks for having me on and catch up with you again later in the season oh, Cheers for that Luke thank you very much for the uh, the Swansea insight Um yeah, I mean, is there anything else you want to add on the game, Mike? Anything else you can think of? I thought, to be honest, I thought they deserve credit for the way they played on, you know, how awful they were against Sheffield Wednesday, obviously the manager left. You get two sort of, sort of reactions, don't you, when a manager leaves? And I thought that the lads dug in, stuck plenty of effort in, and actually we were the better side for... I thought we were slightly the better of a poor first half, but we were the better team of the two. And then second half, I thought we were very much the better side. And, um, yeah, for me, deserved to take the three points. 
couldn't really put it any better myself, mate. It's exactly what I was about to say, to be honest. Um, I mean, my man of the match, by the way, was quite close. Um, I think between Junior and Gooch for me, but I'm going to give it to Gooch. I just thought he was he was non-stop. Could have had a goal of himself, at least one. Um, I just thought it was a, a really solid performance, but I think there was probably a couple of them that could have got it. Um, but yeah, same same thoughts as you. They've they showed a lot more fight, a lot more heart than than they did against Sheffield. Um, maybe now they've got rid of the manager they clearly didn't want. Uh, potentially some of them. Then uh, you know maybe we can actually look forward to finishing this season a bit of a high in theory. We need to get the right man, of course. Yeah, I mean. Uh... Was the right man any of these people? Uh, John Eustace, John Walters, Glenn Whelan, Mark Moniesa, Peter Odenwingi, Charlie Adam, um, <laughs> Holden, Allardyce. Uh, they, were, they were all there at the game on, on Tuesday night. Uh, any of them? Any of them fancied? Um, no. <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. Do you think it was the Stoke City Old Boys Christmas Night Out or something? There was definitely something going on. I mean, I don't know what Sam Allardyce was doing on the night out. Maybe we secretly hired him as a defensive coach or something at some point, so he's, he feels a bit left out. Um, when I saw his name come up as another one who was there, I was like, oh, for God's sake, don't you dare. Like we, I mean, he's such, again, such a John Coates type man. I just think maybe a, a John Coates man from maybe... You know, five years ago plus. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that one's clearly not going to happen. But yeah, they're, they're all together. I, you know what? As much as I don't see any of them actually managing Stoke from that list, um, it'd be nice to see Glenn Whelan uh, return because obviously he's left his job at, at Bristol Rovers as well. So I think, you know, it's he's a guy that I think would help unite people again. Uh, he definitely, you know, he understands what it's like to be a, a Stokey. So I don't think you can have too many of them people. He's got a bit of experience behind him. I think he could add a lot of value. I mean, Dean Holden was another one like I mentioned, which was there. Dean is a lovely guy. I spoke to him on a couple of occasions. Like he's such a nice guy. I don't think he's quite the level we need, personally, as much as I like him. So no. And then the rest of them aren't really managers. So that's, um, that's my take on that little list you gave. I'm sure we'll go into a bigger list. Um, yeah, let me just say as well, one last thing I will, just throw one stat at you. Um, we avoided what would have been a fifth successive defeat. Uh, it would have been the first time since early 2005 that we'd lost five in a row. So that's quite impressive. I didn't realise it had been that long. If we think of all the ta- 10 years in the Premier League, we never lost five in a row. Um, but yeah, since then, we've had Terry Pulis, Jan Boskamp, Terry Pulis again, Mark Hughes, Paul Lambert, Gary Rowett, Nathan Jones, Michael O'Neill, and Alex Neal as permanent full-time managers. Did not know that. Okay. Yeah, so uh, none of them, none of them lost five in a row. Good on them. <laughs> um, right, so, man of the match. Who did you say was your man of the match? It just about went to Gooch. Right, well, well uh, there were votes for Johnson, obviously scored the penalty. Mike, obviously won the penalty. Burger for just being Burger and what actually I'd like to mention that was an awful tackle on him, by the way. That saw uh it Gooch get booked for pointing out to the ref that the yeah. guy tried to chop him in half. <laughs> um and Ben Pearson, they all got votes, as as did Jack Bonham, which I assume is just somebody taking the mech. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, but the top three was Josh Loren with seven percent of the vote. Junior Shamadu with 37%, and as you can expect, Lyndon Gooch, 49% of the vote. 
Um, so, yeah, well done to the players mentioned there. Uh, player of the season-wise, Ben Pearson jumps into third now over Mark Travers. He's on 209, just behind uh, Mehdi Larice on 212. He's gone very quiet these days, hasn't he? And uh, stretching ahead a bit of a lead now, 44-point lead for Wouterberger on 256 points. Would you say he's been the best player we've had this season, Mark? Um, I mean, it's not it's, it's not exactly... It's, it's difficult, not really enough, isn't it? No, no one's... Um, for me, no one deserves that mantle right now. I think there's been a lot of average players across the board. I, I, I honestly, I can't give you an answer um, about that. Ask, ask me in about three months because none of them deserve think, it right now. I think he does enough to show why he was playing European football last year. I see enough in him to think, oh yeah, I can see. I can see why you were like, you know, pretty good Dutch under twenty one international and all that. Um, and hopefully, as he settles in, and as he obviously he's another one who's had you know a, a decent spell out injured. So once he gets fully fit, hopefully we'll be. It'll be pretty good. Uh, yeah. you know, we'll get the best you can, out of it. You can see the guy's quality. You can see the yeah. guy's quality, man. There's, there's no, there's no doubt about that. I just think no one's really been consistent all season. Uh, you yeah. know, for a string of four, five, six games, it's just, it's. Uh, Larice went through a little spell, like we said, where he was winning everything in the air. He was scoring. He was, he was doing good. Like everyone's gone off the boil a little bit, and uh, I mean, we all know we've had loads of injuries, so that's of course going to hamper that. But yeah, for me right now, I don't think any of them deserve to be player of the season. I think we'll just make that um, that null and void the the, uh, the awards if everything carries on uh, like this for the rest of the year. Hopefully not. So, uh, oh yeah, lads, who who would you like? Would you like to come give your uh, your trophy again on the pitch? No, we wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can we give it to the you know under 18s coach or something like? Yeah. Will Will Potter must be present? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to ask yeah. you, um, what did you think to the to the crowd? There was not well, was eighteen thousand in there, it looked dead empty. Oh. Not again, not surprising. I know. Would you like me to tell you how many people were actually there? Because I have this information. I have I have a man in the know. Do you know the exact figure? Yeah, one. I bet he's about how many how many times do you think the turnstile clicked on Tuesday night? Let me, let me give you a number, let's just, just in case I'm there, right? So I'm going to say 14,326. Nowhere near. Oh, no, go on. 9,800. What? Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, 9,800. Once you add the boxes in, it went up to 10,500. Jesus Christ. So there was, what, seven and a half thousand season ticket holders who didn't turn up? <laughs> wow. I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming the Coates family and stuff get those types of numbers, or maybe they, they don't care, maybe. Um, but that is an absolute damning indictment of, of where we are. That's, that is shocking. I, expect, I didn't think it was going to be that low. Yeah, I mean, obviously the red button on Sky, I don't think, helps midweek games, does it? And maybe that's a sign of things to come and when these uh, the 3pm watershed eventually dissolves and disappears, as uh, it's been pushed, isn't it, in, in time? 
Um, so yeah, when when every game's being broadcast on on a red button somewhere, maybe maybe that's what we'll expect. Maybe grounds will have to shrink them down. Right, shall we get into some news and then and we can maybe even have a little bit of manager chat if you want. Yeah, go on then. The under-18s, now, we're recording this Thursday night and they have just crashed out of the FA Youth Cup with a 3-0 defeat away at Bristol City. So that has ended 2023 for them on a bad note. Um, the under-21s, they have had no game this month, but they have one left this year, and that is on Monday, 7pm kickoff at St George's Park when they take on Nottingham Forest. Like I say, that'll be their last match of the year as well. Uh, and last week, the women ended their year with a 5-0 loss away at Newcastle in the FA Cup third round. Uh, if they had won through, they would have been playing... Guess who, Mike? Fail. <laughs> no, Man United away in round Ooh, um... So that's two years in a row. Last year, it would have been Arsenal away and they lost. And, they, and then they, this year, it would have been Man United away and they lost. So... Unlucky, very unlucky for the girls that you know one round away from two absolute bumper memorable, you know tell your grandkids about ties for them, isn't it? Um, unfortunately, yes, they've uh, not been able to get to see either of them. Now, there is some transfer news. Obviously, January is just around the corner. Stoke are among amongst a host of EFL clubs seriously interested in Southall United midfielder Jaden Thompson Brissett. He was released by Brentford uh, and he's already scored 20 goals from central midfield this season. Uh, 22 years old. He can also play up front, which you can sort of tell by the fact he's you know, scored 20 goals from midfield. Uh, but yeah, Stoke, there's about eight or nine clubs interested. And I think uh, Stoke, uh, there's one or two championship sides, Stoke are one of them, who have uh, yeah, been sending the scouts down and uh, seriously interested. I mean, Southall United, I think that's, Sort of, um, you know, you're talking sort of second division in, second, maybe even third division in non league, so not a massive standard. But he's been at Brentford, I believe he was also at, um, I think it was West Ham before that. So he's got a bit of, you know, he's obviously had a bit of coaching, got a bit of credentials, and he's obviously far too good for the level he's playing at at the minute, isn't he? Yeah, what's we'll keep an eye on? I'm sure, like you said, there's a few suitors there, so. Um, let's not hold our breath. But look, we've got fantastic facilities we can offer. Um, you know, we've got very much a potential. I say we've got a path into the first team. I mean, you never know whoever the new manager comes in, but um, we've got a lot to offer young players. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye on it. And he's obviously not going to cost the earth either, is he? You know, um, coming from that level. Uh, Devante Cole, though, he may cost the earth. Uh, 20, 28 year old Barnsley striker, obviously son of Andy Cole. Ex Newcastle United and Manchester United striker. Um, now Barnsley have said it would take, and I quote, a serious offer to get them to sell. Um, Stoke have been interested since the summer. Still, Stoke scouts have been spotted at Barnsley games watching him. So it's obviously somebody they've been keen on. Um, I wouldn't really, you know, 28 years old. He's never really done anything in the Championship as such. Um, I wouldn't particularly be too impressed if we were going to go put serious money down like Barnsley are saying uh, for a guy at that stage of his career who's done nothing at this level so far No, no we're going to have very limited funds as it is so we need to be we need to be careful Yeah, 
and any other business. So after a couple of uh, sackings recently, notably Alex Neal and Tony Mowbray, there are only five championship managers who have been in charge for 14 months or more. Uh, two got promoted last season, so obviously that's why they're still on the job. That's McKenna and Schumacher, obviously at Ipswich and Plymouth. Uh, one got to the championship playoff final, Mark Robbins at Coventry. And then the other two are uh, John Dahl Thomason at Blackburn and Ryan Lowe at Preston, who notably have both been linked with the Stoke job. So maybe we're going to try and do our best to make that a four-person list rather than five. Um, but yes, on yeah. that note, nice segue into manager talk. So there's been a few favourites, hasn't there, over the last few days? Yeah, there, ha- there has been. I've just I've got the actual odds in front of me. Shall we just quickly run through the li- the odds as we speak? Yes, just very minute. As we speak on this Thursday night, who is the favourite now? John Eustace has gone back to the favourite. Um, he's he has so he's John Eustace one is one to two. Uh, Nuno Santo is two to one. Lee Carsley three to one. We've got Stephen Schumacher at ten to one. Um, a new name that's popped onto the list. A couple of new names really. They're Either that or they just moved the way up. Scott Parker is now twenty to one, so a bit of a long, uh, long shot. You know, mentioned Thomason; he's ten to one. So if you've got a bit of spare money, maybe looking at him. Um, do you want to know one of the? Well, I'm going to give it through two names at you, um, who make you smile at the very least. Um, Steve Evans, twenty to one, <laughs> <laughs> um, and just as unlikely, as much as I love the man. Tony Peel is, is 20 to 1. Um, he might as well be 200,000 to 1 because he ain't going to come back. Um, but yeah, so you're right. There's been a hell of a lot of people linked. One minute it's Eustace, one minute it's Nuno. Um, I mean, Lee Carsley has obviously made an appearance today. I don't know in which capacity you want to start this, but um, I think probably one place we could start is the fact that every man and his dog wants Nuno Santo. And rumour has it that he actually applied for the job. We didn't just approach him, he applied. Which, for me, Dan, personal opinion, if someone of his calibre um, is applying, he has to go to the top of the list. Uh, you know, someone who's got a really good proven track record, you know, he, he can deal with international players, foreign players. Um, I just I just think he's got a lot of pedigree and also a little bit different. It's not the typical British manager that we've been stuck with for the last god knows how many years. So we've been promoted from this league by Pulis, under Pulis, should I say, and now we're going to try and do it under the man known as the Portuguese Pulis. <laughs> That's his nickname, isn't it? So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, like I say he's he, he's not overly um, sort of outgoing in his tactics and how he goes, as he likes to keep things steady uh, but you know very much very much a modern style and, and you know his team, he likes to, his teams to keep the ball and he was sort of at the forefront of that wasn't he a few years ago with Wolves um, Is it a little bit like the, the, the Italian type way mate you know keep it tight and, and use pace to break and and break lines quickly I mean that's how I seem to remember him my memories I'm, I'll be honest it's a bit vague um, watching his you know Wolves teams and stuff but that's how I seem to remember and I swear he plays five at the back as well which People were not a fan of previously. No, yeah, he does prefer the five. But I think it's maybe more of a three-four-three, if you like, where you've got the three three centre backs, um, and then you, your wing backs are sort of 
more even probably wide midfielders. And then you've got two in the midfield, then you sort of you two one either side of a, of a main striker. Um, I did, you know, I'm quite, I'm, I'm more than happy if he wants the job, uh, if he can sort it out. I think stumbling blocks might be that he has a very big entourage who get very well paid, and obviously he they they come as a team, so it's not just him. You have his team, if you like. Um, so I imagine it's another one into where you know everybody in the club has to be shipped out because he's got a man for to do every job. Um, yeah, so so it's it's can we afford that on on the budgets that we've got? Um, you know, the, the FFP restrictions and all that. You know, are we able to? I imagine you know when Wolves did it, uh, it was a different sort of the you know, FFP was sort of slightly different back then, wasn't it, and everything and. And then they were able to, and obviously Nuno as well at the same time, was more of an up-and-coming coach. So I suppose, you know, the the, the money you could demand was, was different. Um, well, we have to make it a staggering want, thing, Dan. I was going to say, well, so, you know, could you say, right, bring in your own assistants or something and, you know, Luke will give you a couple of coaches and then next season will then give you the rest of the team. It, it's Will he agree to that? That's the thing, isn't it? Um, it depends how desperate you are for a job. Yeah, I mean, he's just come back from Saudi Arabia, where I, I imagine he's not desperate for money. <laughs> um, he's just done a season over there, hasn't he? So I say I'm sure he's not he's not scratching around for a, down the back of the settee for some money. Go buy a loaf of bread. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't think so. Um, what I will say, but maybe that could work in our favour. Money's money might not be an issue anymore. He might say, you know what, I'll. I'll yeah, just I just want to take a club. He could take a risk. You know, he could be in a financial position now where Stoke can say, "We'll give you this, but we'll heavily incentivise a promotion." So if you get us up to the Premier League, there is a you know a massive bonus for you and your team waiting for you there. Um, it could yeah. that can still try and structure the deal in that way, which is a deal I like. I'd like a manager to get that because I think then. You know they've got something to aim for as well, not just promotion, but there's a personal, uh, not there's just a pride issue, but there's like an incentive, a financial incentive there as well. One thing, if I was playing devil's advocate and trying to switch, and you sort of like try and weigh up, you know, the the pros and the cons. One potential negative: Did he win promotion with that Wolves team? That that Wolves team was a top ten Premier League side playing in the Championship. Did that Wolves team get promoted because he managed to coach them to promotion? Or were they that good that anyone half decent could just sit there and let them play and they would have done it, you know, they they got themselves promoted? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. 
There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Because they were that good, Julian. They were that good compared to the rest of the league. Um, I still think you need a good manager, though. Like You can have the best mm-hmm. players in the world, but if you've got a, someone who can't put people together, can't keep people happy, can't set the right structure for them players, I think the rest of it becomes not irrelevant, but... It, you, you don't you, you don't win it like that you know you you, you stumble you, you know you fumble etc again if memory serves me right I don't think they really had that problem so for me no I think you still need the right coach and the right manager in there um, I think I, I think we've already said it look if if he's really interested which it seems like he is I think he's got to be the front runner you've then got Lee Carsley Dan who I saw it come through I, I only caught it afterwards because of work and I said to you both, you know, you and Tom, I don't want anything to do with Lee Carsley. Um, I know he's England's under-21 uh, kind of manager and stuff like that. I really couldn't care less whether you're Brazil's under-21. I don't, I don't care. Like, you, we need... We're in a scenario now where we need a... I don't know, we could, people will say Alex Neal was a proven uh, championship manager. Yeah, okay, fair enough. You know, he, he was to a large extent. But just because one proven manager fails is that another reason just to rip that up and go for an unproven one I think it feels a little bit like the whole kind of you know Nathan Jones bit a young up and coming manager didn't quite work out in fact it worked pretty disastrously um, I just think you know we shouldn't rip up the, the form book entirely and go for someone who's barely managed a game I think he had two months of, of temporary charge um, before Dean Smith took over previously like for me that's a huge gamble international under-21s football is a country mile away from hard championship football where you've got to get results. You know, you've got to wheel and deal. You've got to... There's so much change to that. And from what people are telling me, he's one of them people who wants to be a coach, not a manager. He doesn't want to get involved in recruitment. Well, that's not how we work. Not really. Or at least that wasn't how we we have worked. Is it or... With Jared Dublin and everyone else coming in, is is that not how we need to be moving towards? Is this not the ability to move to that? You know, you've got a manager willing to say, no, I don't want it. I'm not involved in any of that, mate. I'm, I'm not, in, you know, I, I don't, I'm not interested. Give me, give me a short list of players. I'll pick my preference, one, two, three, and you can go off and sort the deal out. People are saying they want the club to move that direction. Is a manager like this not the best way? I mean, obviously... Like uh, just Nuno when he was at Wolves, they had George Mendes, didn't they? The super agent he was bringing in the players. Once he's there, at Wolves, um, he's not going to have. I mean, I, 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 I might chuck him the odd bone. You never know. Um, but he, obviously, he's not going to have that at Stoke. But does so Nuno might be the same. He might be quite happy to come in and have somebody else bring the players in for him. Um, Obviously, I assume any manager, even at clubs that you know, where you highlight people like Bright, Brighton, Brentford, people like that, that where they have a, a certain kind of um, structure and and bringing people in. I'm sure if the manager still went to them and said, oh, "I've seen, you know, I've, I've seen this player, I like the look of this player," come, they, they'd still, you know, they wouldn't just go, "Excuse me, that's not your job. Leave us to it. Thank you." They would, you know, they, I'm sure they would try and integrate that in as well. Um, as for Carl, let me just ask you one question, right? So, since we got re- since we got relegated, 
Gary Rowett, Nathan Jones, Michael O'Neill, Alex Neal. Who's the only one out of them four who actually got us playing half decent football and made us look like uh, you know was semi successful in the job, especially the job they had at that time? Oh, damn it. Um, I thought, you know, actually, I quite enjoyed Michael O'Neill's football for a large spell of it, personally. Yeah, so the only one out of them who who probably achieved what he could achieve, because obviously he was very much hampered financially, um, the only one who got us to the towards the top end of the table, you know, in, in the autumn and start of the winter months, two years running, we were in the top three. Uh, before falling away due to you know, best players getting injuries, Suter and Campbell in successive years. Now, how much championship experience did that man have when he took the job? How much English experience did he have? To be honest, how much club football at a professional level did he have? Well, I, I try to think about his managerial career. Was it like Shamrock Rovers? And yeah, so it was Shamrock Rovers, Rovers which, and there was this club in Scotland, was it? Uh, I can't think. I'm not going to say because I don't know. Can't remember who it was, but the again, both of them were clubs that he went into and basically did everything from football and managing to accountants to everything. He was in charge of the whole lot, um, and he could mould the clubs that. But again, it was nothing like a championship. You know, it wasn't a championship level, was it? Um, and so you think, you know, he came in and did that. So, what's stopping Lee Carsley, who's one of the highest-rated coaches? He's actually, um, he's actually third, third favourite to be the next England manager, um, permanent England manager. Now, I know, obviously, that's going to be high due to his role with the under twenty ones, but that's how highly thought of he is, and his coaching abilities are within within the FA. Um, that, you know, he is believed that he is very much at the forefront of their eyes and, and when it comes to replacing Gareth Southgate. So I think if you, if you want to move away from a manager-led um, and more into like a head coach kind of scenario, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure there's many probably you know, fairer options out there and I, I think we should be very happy that he seems to be considering us, to be fair. I think the one thing I do like about this whole situation is we don't seem to be just making a jerk reaction. It does seem that we're actually thinking about it and we are interviewing a number, a number of people, really. Uh, I mean, obviously, the top three that realistically are in that running um, is Carsley, Nuno and Eustace. I think those are the top three. And I did a little poll on literally about less less than an hour ago. Uh, 507 people have voted. Not bad for an hour. Um, Carsley's 23%. John Eustace is 4%, 72% want Nuno, and 2% of other, basically. So um, pretty resounding, but still interesting as well that Carsley's still picking up 23%, considering that's a, a newish name that hasn't had time to embed and people do research, including myself, with that one. So he's obviously got a reputation of, of sorts. Would you rather have Carsley over Eustace? In fact, I'll ask you, would you rather have Carsley over Eustace? If any of them through, and this is a cop out, so it's a complete cop out from me. But if they were to give the job to any of them three, Eustace, Nuno, or Carsley, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be against any of them. I do feel that we're being slightly harsh with John Eustace getting four percent of that vote. Um, 
I think the Nuno thing, people get mad, and it's going to be one of them things again where if if it doesn't come off for whatever reason, and we do end up going with Lee Carsley or going with John Eustace or, or another member um, uh, you know, of, the, of the people we've spoken to and we're being linked with, then the fans straight away, let's hope that they don't, you know, chastise the club and and start, you know, putting down John Coates and the team and everything because they've been open to get Graham Potter. They opened, you know, they, they went in, they contacted him and they were given a, a short shift. No, thanks, but no thanks. They moved on. They've spoken to Nuno Espirito Santo. They've had him, they've spoken to him, they've interviewed him. They've, you know, they, they if there's an issue there, if they feel he's the best one for the job and they wanted him to come in, then he'll come in. The issue might be that it's just a deal they can't, they, they cannot financially, physically, whatever, do the deal required. And if that's the case, that's the case. We just have to accept that that is what it is. You know, I'm sure if, if there wasn't FFP restrictions, they'd go out and get whichever manager they wanted. Do you know what I mean? They'd chuck as much money as they possibly could, but we can't. So if it is that, like I say, Maybe it's a thing with Nuno's backroom team or the budget he's got available or whatever. Let's not start having a go at the board and and you know giving harping on at the new manager because he's not the name you made seventy two percent of that poll wanted. I totally understand the sentiment and I do agree with it, but we we know exactly what will happen and that and that that will happen. It doesn't matter who comes in. There'll always be some people who will shout louder than, than those who are happy with it and it'll feel like a, a portion of the fan base. But I, I'm with you, Luke. I, we, we, we've, I think we all, all Stoke fans typically will, will back, the, the vast majority will back the managers, no matter who it is, um, as long as they can see attacking football progress, which, would, well, um, any form of progress would, would, be, would be nice um, over the last five, six years. I think as long as we can see something of that ilk, I think any manager is going to be able to be backed. Uh, we just need to see some shred of it. I mean, strangely, as, as stupid as this sounds, and it is stupid, and I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if you just take the table on the face of it, you get somebody in who galvanises this team, finds a way forward, you go on a bit of a streak over this the rest of this December period, you'll find yourself in the top 10 within two minutes. Like it, it's not oh, yeah. going to be difficult to do it. And all of a sudden, what's going to happen then? We've gone from a team of fine relegation to a, can we make the playoffs? <laughs> you know it's going to happen because it's just bloody football. Yeah, there's always a team in the championship. Every year, pretty much, there's a team that's, that's in the lower mid-table around this time of year and they end up either just sneaking the playoffs or just missing out. I remember Crystal Palace being third from bottom one year and then... Um, going right the way through, went on a massive unbeaten run, and then up finishing like fifth, and then won the playoffs. There's always a team that do it. Um, so what's stopping us? We're we changing manager, whatever. What's stopping us? We've got a decent squad. Let's be honest. We we've got good players. We've rec- <laughs> I I believe we recruited quite well in the summer, and I think as well that a lot of them players now are starting to settle in and find the feet. You know, they've they've got over injuries and stuff like that. If we can keep people fit. 
it's just we're, we're stupid, aren't we? We are talking about playoff cases when we're 20, 20th in the league. Well, well what we like. I suppose it's probably stressing that we're not saying we're getting playoffs, Christ. We're not saying that. We're just trying to point out how ridiculously stupidly tight this yeah. division is. And it only and takes three or four wins to go from feeling like you're down and out to all of a sudden we've actually got something to play for. I mean, yeah, mate, that's not that, right? If we can go from this to 10th, I'd be loving that. That What a great... You know what? It'd make the actual season feel good after all this crap. We'd all of a sudden feel positive about the next season. And you know what? Alex Neal started this season under pressure because of how we finished last season. And he was like, he had to get through that season to do the rebuild in the summer. But he started this season and it was only as soon as we lost a few games that the knives were out. Rightly so in the end, because that football was dire towards the end. I think he had lost lost it. But the season before, Michael O'Neill, again, FFP restrictions coming in, his squad falling apart. And he was like, just get out, get to the end of this season. And then let's start again. And again, he started, you know, he started last season, didn't he? Under pressure because of how they finished the season before. So it would be nice to start a season having finished the last one well. So you don't have that pressure. The manager hasn't got that pressure straight away. We're not making a, you know, we're not making another managerial change within three months of the season starting. Yeah, it will 100% make a change, mate. Um, any other managers you wanted to pick up on? I mean, for me, I'm, I'm quite content with the ones we've mentioned. We could be here all night, listening to every yeah. single manager. I think what we will say is, uh, for those of you who are on Twitter, that when the manager does get announced, and Mike, I haven't said this to him, but I did see that he did a, a post the other day, um, that we will uh, be doing a Twitter Spaces base, won't we? Of course, people asked for it as soon as they said, you know, for the announcements that were rumoured around last night, people messaging us at like 10 o'clock at night, will, 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 will you do one if they announce them like, I'm off asleep, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that's all the manager chat we need, mate. Um, yeah, so let's head into uh, the Baggies televised game on Sunday. So this weekend, he will face Stoke more than any other club in his managerial career. Uh, he's only got two points from four games versus Michael O'Neill, but then he did do the double over Alex Neal last season. Uh, Alex Neal got a little bit of revenge in the League Cup at the start of this season. But yeah, both teams to score, though, in all but one of those seven matches when Colburn has managed versus Stoke. Uh, Stoke's away form has them with the 20th place with eight points this season. Um, after no goal in five consecutive away games, they've actually scored now in five of their last seven, uh, including netting a total of t- ten goals in those uh, seven matches. So, yeah, definitely an upturn in, the, in front of goal for the Potters there. Uh, West Brom's away form has them fifth in the table with 20 points. The home loss to Leicester uh, actually ended a six-match unbeaten run at home, where they'd won four and drew two. In the last five matches, Stoke are 23rd in the table with one point. Stoke are five without a clean sheet after having four consecutive clean sheets before that. Uh, West Brom, their last five matches, have them in seventh position with nine points. Uh, they've had three wins to nil in that time, but two losses where both teams have scored. So if they do, uh, if they do concede, they tend to then lose the game. Well, in recent times, anyway. 
Uh, Junior Chamadeo, it'll be his last game as a teenager. He turns 20 next Friday. Um, Only Leicester, with a measly 14, have conceded less than West Brom's 21. Stoke, on the other hand, are 11th in that list, having conceded 29. Uh, Stoke's XG this season is 25.2, which is higher than West Brom's 24.7. Despite the Baggies scoring 33 goals this season and Stoke scoring just 20. So what that basically translates to is that Stoke, um, while wasting a lot of opportunities, are creating a lot of great chances and missing them. And West Brom are scoring goals that basically got no right to score. Also, Jed Wallace, so looking individually, Jed Wallace has three goals this season, despite having an XG of just 1.6. So he's scoring like nearly twice as many as he should have done. Uh, and John Swift, who's the West Brom top scorer with six goals, his XG is actually just 2.0. Yeah, so he's like a triple what he should. Well over over before in their XG. Um, Stokes' real standout for this is the uh, Medi Larice. He has two goals this season, but an XG of just 1.0. Uh, but on the other end of the scale for Stoke, Ryan May, he has a 4.0 XG and has scored just twice. And Tyrese Campbell has a 3.5 XG and has netted just the once. Um, so, yeah, so at least those two players are getting themselves into opportunities, creating chances, um, getting in front of goal, but, uh, yeah, not being able to finish. So, Stoke's oldest player on Tuesday was Daniel Johnson, uh, the goal scorer, who's 31. Uh, West Brom could put two players out older than that on uh, Sunday. Kyle Bartley's 32 and Eric Peters at 35. So both in the back line as well. Uh, Kian Hoover. He has the highest expected assists for Stoke this season. 2.6 ahead of Daniel Johnson's 2.5. Whilst the injured Matt Phillips, who could well not play again this season, he has the expected assists of 2.3. And Jed Wallace has 2.0. He's also been injured, but point back into the side. So those two are top for West Brom. The referee is Andrew Kitchen. So 16 games this season. He's had 42 yards, one red. He's given a whopping four penalties, nine home wins, four draws, and three away wins. Now, he's ref Stoke twice this season, given us four yards, no reds, no penalties in the games, a win and a defeat. So he recently refed our 3-0 home loss to Blackburn, uh, but also our 2-0 away win at Middlesbrough, which uh, is actually the last time we won a game. Um, so yeah, so West Brom, he's refed them once as well, um, which he gave them one yellow card, no reds, no penalties, and it was actually a win in October against uh, Hull when they won 3-1 at home. Uh, he's in his debut championship season, which obviously is what with the lack of games there. And this will be his 10th game at this level, so he's certainly getting some Stoke games in quick. Uh, On this day, so Saturday the 17th of December 1960, Johnny King Hattrick, his first for five years, helped Stoke to thrash Plymouth 9-0 at the Victoria Ground in front of a crowd of just 6,479. The match itself then, Mike... um... It's going to be an interesting one, isn't it? Do you think we'll do you think we'll line up and set up similar to uh, Swansea, like a high press kind of situation? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. I, I'm not expecting. I mean, Paul will still be in charge, even if we have a manager announced at some point on Friday, which I think is probably a bit of an ask. But 
even then, I don't think anything had changed. He, he's not going to change anything dramatically because we didn't play badly. Um, I'm not quite sure what Haksabanovic is up to. He seems to have been out for a while. I don't know if he's going to be back. I know we'll talk through teams in a minute, but uh, I'm expecting it to be a really tough game, mate. They're having a really good season, West Brom. They've got a good manager. Um, you know, They've got a lot of hard-working players. This is going to be a battle. I, I think if we had a a strong manager and a strong setup, etc. Anyway, I think it would still be difficult. So um, I'm expecting this to be extremely challenging, but I think formation wise, we won't really make any changes on that front. Uh, uh, part of me thinks he could go to a five at the back, if I'm honest. It wouldn't surprise me because they are quite dangerous. So maybe a little bit of extra protection. He could look at this and say, look, we're going to go there and we're just going to try and nick a point, which I think actually will be a, a, a quite a good result um, as things stand. So I don't think there's going to be any dramatic changes to the team. Like I said, I think I'd bring Haksabanovic back into the fold if, uh, if he was fit. I don't think he's going to be. So, I, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see anything majorly different than what we saw in the week. I think you're probably right. Do you know what? If he does go three at the back, do you know what I'd like to see as a right-sided centre-half? Yeah, Henry, I think he's got the pace to cover in behind. Like, you know, if the other two, McNally and Rose, whatever, um, go for the, you know, don't win the heavy, he can sort of drop and just pick up anything behind, can't he? Um I think you have them alongside him to go and win, like I say, win the ball, which obviously isn't his strong point. And then you use his other strengths, don't you, which is sort of, you know, pace, moving on the floor and stuff. So, yeah, I think he could make a decent, especially now we've got Junior who can play right wing back. I think, uh, yeah, he, and also as well, he can support the attack from there, can't he? If Junior is there, he can, you know, dart, if we've got the ball, Henry can sort of dart forward and then give him an option there, give us an extra option there. Um, can also sort of break into midfield as well. So, yeah, I think it could be an interesting one. Um, Josh Maggi went off injured for West Brom in the week, by the way. Um, so he requires surgery. He's done his ankle ligaments. Um, yeah, so he uh, to get stretched off. He, so he's going to be out for at least four months. It's probably ended his season, though, they reckon, uh, which is a shame. You just can't see him catch a break, can you, that lad? You know how I look though, Dan. He would have played against us and scored one. So let's be honest. If it was a tight game and it was a nil-nil, or they needed a goal, on comes Josh Mazur and just to put the ball in the net. You, 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 it was almost written in the stars. So I think the fact that he's out isn't a bad thing. But yeah, I mean they've they've got more than enough dangerous players uh, for us to worry about. So I'm not overly fussed about Josh being out of the equation because well, ex-players typically have good games or score against us. So uh, yeah, that'll that'll do me quite nicely. Um, yeah, another West Brom player to mention, obviously Jed Wallace mentioned him with the stats just do three goals this season, um, overperforming his XG. Well, he's missed he missed a couple of games recently, obviously they lost them both. And then he came back into the team midweek, scored a great little free kick um towards the end. He's in line for a start, a sort of that attacking midfield role behind Brandon Thomas Asante. Obviously Josh Madge is missing now, so he's like say in line to come back into the side. Um, Josh Malumby's also been sort of playing in that sort of role as well, so he's been playing well. So they have got options going forward, haven't they? And I've seen you know, say John Swift is um, you know, scoring for fun this season. He's got half a dozen already. He, um, 
they've got quite a few little attacking talents and they're all sort of different styles as well, aren't they? You know, you've got sort of the, the power and and sort of dynamism of a of a of a Malumbi, or you've got this sort of the the guile and and flair of sort of your, your Wallaces and your and your John Swifts. Yeah, they, they they've got talents in abundance. I think they've scored the last time I looked, I think they've scored thirty three and conceded twenty one. Um, like that's a team that can attack and also defend at the same time. They've got that balance right. You know, I, th- I think it's difficult. I mean, West Brom have got six home wins, two draws and two losses. So it's a pretty decent record. I mean, I'm not quite sure what ours is off the top of my head, but um, I'm sure ours is not even close to that, <laughs> our home form. Uh, but yeah, like I say, we haven't won since, what, October the 28th? Um, and... <laughs> I mean, generally, I think this will be a low-scoring game, personally. I, I, I know that they do score goals. Um, I just think because of how we're going to set up and how deep we're going to play, which is what I think we'll do. I think we'll put pressure on when they cross our halfway line, but I've just got a feeling he's going to try and nick something, and he's not going to want to open up gaps. He's not going to want people you know, pressing too high at the wrong time because, yeah, as we've said, you know, they've they've got people who can... Who can damage you? Uh, there's a lot of good talent there. So, yeah, f- for me, Dan, I think we need to go there. Probably five at the back, and I don't like five at the back at all. But like I said, I think we need. I think we need to do that and just try and try and nick something. Maybe go for a really good, outstanding performance. Maybe if we can get a, a manager announced on Friday, maybe it'll give them a little bit of a a nudge. You know, to put that extra ten percent in uh, to get us over the line. I mean, hopefully by then we'll have at least some inkling from it. So, uh, yeah, a difficult game, very difficult game. No major team changes. It's very difficult for us to do this right now. <laughs> I think everyone could appreciate. We said it on the last pod, but there's there's such do, little things that go off at the minute. Do you know? Do you know what? One thing of Alex Neil leaving is we might get some insight into who's actually available before a game again. <laughs> so we might, we might actually yeah. be able to name a team. <laughs> Yeah, and you know what? That's the one thing about Alex. I'd say that that's great uh, that he did that. Like, why would you open yourself up for opposition knowing about your players? I think it's hundred percent the right thing to do. But if I was a manager, I'd get people on crutches walking around, taking you know, and being pictured. I think Gary Neville did it back in the day, if I remember rightly. Uh, I think it's a very clever thing to do. Get your star player before a big game. Get him on a pair of crutches. Everyone thinks they're injured, and boom, you know, an hour before kickoff, they're in the team. I think that'd be great if there was more. Um, I don't want to swear on the pod. If, if, if there's more dodgy dealings going on, let's say that. S. Housery. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if, do you know what? There's a knack to walking on crutches, though. You have to make sure the players can do that. The last thing he wants is to put him on some crutches to make people think he's injured when he's not, and then him slip over and actually get injured because he's trying to walk with him. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, right. What is your. T- actually. Before we get into teams, let's listen to Mr. McGarry and his ever-present predictions on this podcast. He's been with us since day one, and let's hear what he thinks ahead of the game at the Hawthorns. 
Here we go again, you Potter's predictors, but this time you have to wait till Sunday lunchtime before we get the prediction for your next game, West Bromwich Albion against the mighty Potters, of course. Well, it's been an interesting few days, and that continues. All the speculation about the names of who the new manager might be, that's going to take a bit of time yet, so we expect the same caretaker management team to be in place at the Hawthorns. They would have done some work with the players out on the training ground after the result in midweek where it loses her three points we were on the board but it was snatched away once again late on in the game well can Stoke get a Sunday best against a West Brom side who are improving and who are one of those favourites to be in the end of season playoffs they might not be just quite good enough to get automatic this time around but they certainly look to be ready to be involved in the end of season playoffs it's usually a game that Stoke fancy well they have done in previous years but it might not be the case this Sunday afternoon but I'm going to go hopefully that it's going to be a good day for the likes of Paul Gallagher Alex Morris and Ryan Shawcross West Brom 1 Stoke 1 Cheers for that Graham um, yeah let's now get into teams then Mike who is I mean is Jack Barnum keeping his team or is young Tommy Simpkin coming back into your starting lineup? Um, if it was down to me mate uh I think I'd have, you know, Joe from Block Block Three going going in the net uh, instead of Jack Bonham. But seeing as he's not available, um, not fit apparently, I'm going to go for Jack Bonham in goal. I don't think I've got much choice. Uh, Simkin again, it's a big big deal of pressure. If he's going to have his goal peppered, potentially that that could happen. Then we don't really want him having three, four, five goals. <laughs> you, you never know. It depends on his on his capability. You don't want that situation for him. So. Bonham goes in goal, pretty much the same. I'm going to stay four at the back. I know he might not go this way, but I'd have Junior uh, at right back, McNally and Rose in the middle, Stevens uh, on the left-hand side. Um, and then I'm going for the two holding midfielders to be Berger and Thompson. And then I'm not quite sure where we fit this in, but I think Josh Loren doesn't, de- doesn't deserve to lose his... Um, his place actually. So maybe we have Juno slightly on the left of that three. I don't particularly like him on the left. I think he's better behind there, but I think to drop Josh would be harsh. You can't drop Berger. Thompson's probably gonna got, got to come in for Pearson, I think. So I'd have Loren, Juno, and Campbell, uh, and then Ryan uh, May up front on his own. Um yeah, a bit tricky. Obviously, like I said, I think Haksabanovic would come in for me to play on that left hand side if he was fit. I'm kind of guessing since we've heard nothing and he's not even been on the bench, I don't think. I'm, I'm assuming he's nowhere near. Yeah, I think uh, Hax, he's, he's got some sort of muscle injury anti by sounds of it, so it's just maybe it's another one who's just taking a little bit longer to get fit. Um, you know what? I wouldn't surprise me. I like, say I might go five at the back here, but it's a three of Henry McNally-Rose, Gooch at left wing back, Junior at right wing back, and I think having the extra centre half there will allow Berger and Loren to be the two midfielders, which then gives me um, the opportunity to play uh, John Ho, Vidigal, and Mai up front. Okay, you know, I've just forgot about mate, it was Baker. Just forgot about Baker. Yes, Baker's on my bench. Uh, yeah, so I've got Simkin, uh, Simkin, Stevens, Baker, Thompson, Clark, uh, Wesley, Lowe, Tesgal, and Johnson, who's unlucky really to to lose his place. But the thing with Johnson, when we signed him in the summer, 
I'm sure he wasn't signed to play every week. I think Preston fans said, you know, his legs weren't what they used to be. He can't play 90 minutes week in, week out. He did it Tuesday night. I think we fell into the trap of playing him Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. And that's when his form really dripped, dropped off. I think he obviously he's had the trips over to Jamaica quite a, you know, three times already this season as well. You know, that there's something to be said for that. You know, a lot of travelling, playing two games in a few days, then coming travelling back and playing again straight away a couple of days later. I think we've got a good player in Daniel Johnson as long as you don't overuse him. I think the next few months with no international breaks, that I think that'll certainly help. But at the same time, especially over a busy Christmas period coming up like that, I think don't expect him to play three games in a week and, and play to the standard that you've got to manage his workload right for me. Um, so, although he played well the other night, that's why he's not in my side. Um, what prediction are you going for? I'm going for a 1-1 draw, and I think Ryan Mai is just going to lift a little bit of frustration, maybe a little bit of lacking confidence in front of goal. He's going to score himself a nice brush off a centre-half and, and smash it low and hard in the bottom corner for me. I'm going to go 2-1 West Brom. Um, I'm going to go for Tyrese to take us 1-0 up, and I think we'll just, we'll just fade away. Um, and I think they'll go and steal it. And not for the first time, we'll go 1-0 up and, and lose the game. Jack Bonham, double mistake. Fair enough. Um, Super six, mate. So, we both scored six points in midweek. Uh, Takes me to 53rd, dropped down a few places. You're 65th overall. Uh, Top three places are Michael Gadgeter with 231, Sean Flanagan on 228, hot on his heels there, and then Simon Hume is on 216 and third. So yes, we uh, we both remembered to do it once again, aren't we? Aren't we good? But we yes, uh, just the six points. Uh, Gaffer, I got forty eight points, which leaves me still in thirty seventh. But I've now got one thousand one hundred and sixteen overall. Uh, Crying Lightning was the top scorer this week, though, with eighty four points in the midweek um, game. Stoke is base continues to lead the way on one seven two seven. Anthony Hobbs is one six three eight is in a hot pursuit there, and at Jamie Gaffer is one six one four in third. Now, mate, quick six times challenge to round off this podcast. Um, are you ready? As ready as I'll never be for these things, but one. So, uh, one of them's really easy. No, really, don't say really that. Easy. That is famous last words for me, mate. We are talking like midnight now. So I'm being honest. If you do not get the number one on this list, there is something seriously wrong. Um, so, six towns challenge. Name me the last six caretaker managers of this football club, including the present one. <laughs> You're joking. Okay. Um, well, obviously, got to go Paul Gallagher, right? Paul Gallagher. Um, so, yeah, in 2023, uh, so far, he has had one match after Alex Neal left the club, which has been a draw. Uh, Dean Holden has got to be another one. Dean Holden, second on the list. 2022, he took charge of one game, which was a win away at Blackburn. That was after Michael O'Neill had left the club. Um, okay, so let's have a think. Pulis, oh, um, oh, mind you, no. He would have, he's technically a perm with that one. Um, da, 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 da. So, Rory's a lap. 
Rory Dolap, yes, 2019. He had one game, which was a loss, 2-0 home loss to West Brom, of all teams, uh, after, na- after Nathan Jones left the club. So they are the last three. So we've then... Right, so this is going to be one of, oh, I think, Mark Hughes' backroom team. Was it Eddie N- N- Nizvisky or something like that? I'll give you that. I'm not even going to try and pronounce it, but people will know you. <laughs> Uh, yes, so he, after Mark Hughes left in 2018, he had one game, which was a 3-0 away loss at Old Trafford against Man United. Eddie Nidzwecki. Nidzwecki? Some, yeah, something like that. So um, now, that's quite, now, we must have to go back quite a way after this, because that takes us to, what, 2017, 2018, something like that. So... Before that, Hughes. Before that's Pulis. Boss Camp. Quitterell. Remember that. That was a horrendous game when he first came back. So it's uh, it, it's him. It's going to be in between Steve Cottrell and Tony Pulis's uh, first reign. Then. So who was the assistant manager for Tony Pulis? Who's it? Oh, flipping out! Of course, he followed him everywhere. It's Dave Kevin. Got to be Dave yes. Kevin, right? So Dave Kevin, although he was there, obviously when Cottrell was there, he was at right. the club, and then obviously he then went with, obviously stayed when Tony Pulis came in. Uh, but yes, after Steve Cottrell quit the club, Dave Kevin took temporary charge in 2002. He had four games, which all four defeats, uh, losses to Wolves, Sheffield United, Rotherham and Watford. Uh, we scored twice and conceded ten times in those four games. So he didn't quite keep the, the, the train in the right direction, did he? The ship in the right direction, if you like, whilst um, yeah. <laughs> ready for the new man to go in. Good. So I've got all six? No, I said, who is six? That's five. Oh, who is six? Oh, my so God. Gallagher, okay. Holden, Delap, Nizwicky and Kevin. Who was the one before that? Oh, my God. Mate, this is, see, this is too far back now. I would have been... Before this, I'm talking, I'm not even a teenager. Uh, I mean, I was born in 88. We're talking 90s is good, John. I mean, Megson was in for two minutes, but forget Megson. You've got good, John. Before that, buddy, Chris McCamara. But, mate, I, I was I was 10 years old at this point. Not a flipping clue on the last one, I'm sorry. Not a clue. Okay, so it was a man who'd also previously managed Stoke at least once, I think maybe even twice on a permanent basis, Alan Durbin. So, yeah, in 1998, wow. after Chris Kamara left the club, after his uh, ill-fated short spell as manager, uh, Alan Durbin took charge of the last five matches of the 97-98 campaign, which obviously we then went on to be relegated at the end of that. Uh, in his five games, uh, we started off with a win against a town to Portsmouth. Uh, we then lost away at Crewe. Then we beat Norwich at home. Then we lost away at Sunderland, which set up a final day uh, decider against Manchester City, which we then lost 5-2 at home, and uh, both teams then got relegated. So it wasn't the greatest final day decider, because both of us went down. <laughs> um, but yes, Alan Durbin is number six. So yeah, it was a tough one, because like I say, it's a long time ago. 25 years ago yeah I mean I, I only turned 35 what four days ago so I mean <laughs> that, that like 97 98 type time I mean I, I'm 10 years old I mean I, I, I've, obviously I've heard of Alan Durban um, 
I, I, I never, well, I probably saw Chris Kamara's horrible tenure. Um, I remember my dad talking about Brian Little um, and Chick Bates and stuff like that. Obviously, Lou Macari, of course, but that, at that point, I mean, Lou's what? Nine, was he 93, 94 for Lou Macari? So, and then he came back um, to 95, 96, 97. Yeah, something like that. So, I mean, mate, at this point, I'm what? Six, seven. So I'm not going to remember these things. But mate, look, I'll, I'll take five. I think the the first five were easy enough. But trying to go back to Alan Durban, I never would have got that. So I'll, I'll take the five. Well, well, well done. Five out of six is a very credible effort. Like you say, the six one was going to be tough. Um, hopefully, the match on Sunday isn't as tough as that, and we end up with all the points coming back to the Potteries. Um, go on, Stoke. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.